Abandon all prejudices, all ye who enter here. Park your paradigms, perk up your ears, and open your mind as we now shine the laser light of reason on the topic of what is hypnosis, really? Hello, I'm David Bolton, and welcome to my podcast channel dedicated to helping people think more clearly, make sounder judgments, avoid superficiality, and above all, to unceasingly question instead of naively accepting what others want us to believe, for this is the path of Socrates. My friends, when most people hear the word hypnosis, well, what do you think of? <laughs> uh, in my unguarded moments, I would think of, you know, the psychiatrist swinging this golden watch in front of the face of some subject who's getting sleepier and sleepier, watch the watch, and close your eyes, you know, that sort of thing. And then they fall into a trance, and then the psychiatrist, whoever it is, or the stage hypnotist gives them certain suggestions. Whatever that may be. You're going to sleep more soundly tonight, if he's trying to help the guy with sleep problems. Or, when I wake you up, and until I say the magic word, table or whatever, you're going to you're going to strut around the stage and cluck like a chicken. You are a chicken, you know, that sort of thing, stage hypnosis. Where we're going to take this whole thing to a much, much deeper level, and I'm going to simplify it for you. I don't know if you've listened to my other talks in my podcast channel. If you have, you know some of the things I've talked about, COVID, vaccine, the, the political situation in America. You might not agree with a lot of things I say, but that's fine. That's fine with me. But I do suggest that you listen to this one carefully, and the next ones is going to be a series, not sequential, might be you know a few weeks between each episode or whatever. But this is a subject that really deserves some time, because, and I can promise you this, you're going to first of all get a totally different view of what hypnosis really is. You're going to see much more clearly what the difference between hypnosis and suggestion is. And above all, you're going to see how you can use this in your life to improve practically any area of your life. But in addition to all that, you're going to understand phenomena such as many types of mental illness, fanaticism, idealism, religious feeling, scientific beliefs, uh, anything you can imagine. Am I promising too much? I don't think so. Tell me when you've listened to the entire series. And no, I haven't taken any notes for this. It's just that, well, I learned hypnosis when I was in my early 20s. I'm now 65. I only practiced it really at the beginning and then for fun. But I learned a lot then and I, well, a lifetime of observation. And I think you're going to be fascinated by what you hear. If you don't like the other things, the same other podcast episodes, forget them all. Just listen to this one because this one's really going to help you understand at a level that you can't even imagine now. I know that's a big statement. <laughs> this is the point where some people come in and say, yes, and by the way, have you bought my books yet? You know, <laughs> Because they're promising so much, now you want to rope the person in to buy your stuff. Yes, I did write a lot of books. Go see them on Amazon if you want. If you, you want to buy them, fine. I'd be grateful to you. If not, that's also fine. I'm revealing all these things about what I think hypnosis really is, simply to help people. Because people need more help in every area, most especially recognizing things 
understanding themselves and knowing how the human mind works. Don't worry. I'm not going to burden you with parts of the brain and, and movements of firings of neurons. Hey, I'm no brain expert in that sense. And you don't have to be. There were great hypnotists, for example, and people who understood the human psyche, well, thousands of years ago, before we had PhDs and subjects such as psychology or psychiatry or whatever. So let me begin here. Now, an example I first gave you, a psychiatrist example, helping somebody fall asleep or a stage hypnotist telling somebody to be a chicken. We recognize there two basic things, hypnosis and suggestion. Some people say, oh, I'm afraid of hypnosis. I've known men who may be ex-military, really strong and, you know, uh, imposing guys. But with hypnosis, ooh, I'm scared of that. It's amazing. I was never afraid of that. <laughs> you know, I might be afraid of a few thugs attacking me in the street, but I'm not going to be afraid of hypnosis or such things. Everybody's different in that sense. But you must understand that there's a huge difference between hypnosis and suggestion. Hypnosis, in the example I first gave, that's the hypnotist swinging the watch back and forth. And by the way, it doesn't be a watch. There must be a thousand ways you can hypnotize somebody. It doesn't have to be a watch. I never used a watch. But that's one thing. That's to put them in a hypnotic state. At that point, once you do that, you don't have to say anything. You say, okay, now just uh, come back to normal whenever you feel like it. And you're not influencing that person at all. You're relaxing them for a little while. The most important thing, and the reason why we do hypnosis, is because of the suggestion that you then implant. Think of the stage hypnotist. I'll tell you really <laughs> an example that got me really interested in hypnosis. Back in, I think it was senior year in high school, they had some kind of a, I guess, end of high school party or something like that. And it was in some kind of hall. I don't remember exactly where it was. I went to Delone Catholic in, in McSherrystown, PA, lived in Hanover. I'm saying this for all you ex-Delonites out there. Uh, and I forget where it was. But I remember more or less the setup, and the whole class was there. And they had for entertainment like a stage hypnotist. And he said, okay, I need some volunteers. I think it was four volunteers to so sit in these chairs in front. And I raised my hand immediately. I want to pick me. But he didn't pick me. It was only years later that I realized why he didn't pick me. Years later. Not that I had any contact with the guy because I didn't. He picked four other people. And sure enough, I remember, let's see, one, two, three. I said, da, da, da. I don't remember the fourth person, but I remember three of the four. And it worked to a certain degree on all of the four. But one was a very good subject. You must know this. <laughs> well, hypnosis has many levels. About, there's no exact figure, but say about maybe 15% of people are naturally good hypnotic subjects. What do I mean by that? It means you can hypnotize them and they fall into a deep trance the very first time. Other people can fall in deep trance if you repeat the hypnosis, you have different sessions with them. Some people will never fall into such a deep trance. What do I mean by deep trance here on a purely practical level? I mean that you can hypnotize them, you can tell them you're going to forget what I said to you, etc. And they really will forget. And you can tell them to strut around and cluck like a chicken, and they really will. They'll think they're a chicken for a while, right? Now, just as 15% of people approximately, some might say 10, some 12, well, about that number, right? Just as that percentage more or less are naturally good hypnotic subjects, about an equal number are bad hypnotic subjects. This includes many insane people, by the way, that are virtually impossible to hypnotize. 
I'll tell you why a little later. It, it includes other people. I'm, I was never deeply hypnotized, even though some have tried. I wanted to be deeply hypnotized in subsequent years after that, seeing that stage hypnotist. Uh, but maybe because I knew by then how it works. And so I knew, oh, now they're going to say this. Now they're going to say this. Uh, a true master hypnotist might be able to get me that point, but probably take a few sessions. It's because of the way my mind works. Some people are roped in more easily, and that's not a bad thing because you can do wondrously good things with hypnosis if you're a good subject. I wish I were a good subject, really. For the rest of us, maybe say 70% of the people, we're neither extremely bad nor extremely good subjects. We can be hypnotized to a degree, but here's one thing I'll tell you. What really constitutes hypnosis? Now you would think, okay, they're hypnotized, you can tell them whatever, tell them to cluck like a chicken, they will. No, that's just an extreme. I'm going to compare this to something you all know, learning ability in school. Imagine the students in a classroom, and one is totally focused on what the teacher says because it's a fascinating subject for that kid, whatever it may be, and the kid's totally focused. The other person is 80% focused. The other person is 50% focused. Bart Simpson back there, back, he's 1% focused. But even he can pick up something. Ah, now we're getting to what hypnosis really is. And now I'm going to say something. I hope you're sitting down for this because <laughs> this might shock you. This might, this might terrify you, but it need not terrify you because it's really not scary. And once you hear this entire talk and the subsequent ones, you'll know why it's not scary. Are you ready for this? This is a great revelation. You practically won't hear this anyplace else. Yeah, maybe maybe some gin joint down the street. I don't know. Maybe somebody would tell you this. I don't know. Are you ready for it? I believe that the truth is that practically every human being is always, to a certain degree, hypnotized. Wow. Did you get that? You, my friend, I believe, listening to me, are hypnotized. I, talking to you, am hypnotized. But not to skirt the issue, what is really hypnotized? What do I mean by this? Okay. Let's analyze it. The good hypnotic subject, you know, you talk to him or wave the watch or whatever. This is about focusing the attention of the person. Focusing the attention of the person. A basic law of the human mind I'm going to reveal too. You're going to hear some great truths. I will call them truths. Can I prove it to you mathematically? No. But I believe these are truths and I've seen so much confirmation for this you wouldn't believe. And you will too once you're aware of it. Okay. First thing I said, practically everybody is hypnotized to a certain extent always. What do I mean by hypnosis here? Okay. Think of a camera shutter. I know I'm not an expert in cameras. Forgive me if I don't explain this correctly. You know how you can you make them you know, to make make them uh, more open or more closed. Or think of the pupil of the eye. When there's more light, the pupil closes up. When less light, the pupil naturally opens. Or if you're on drugs, which I hope you aren't, <laughs> the pupil naturally opens. These are, frankly, well, analogies, metaphors for our consciousness. You think about this. 
You're listening to me now, and hopefully the subject interests you. If it does, you are more hypnotized than before I start talking to you. Don't be afraid. I'm not trying to hypnotize you in the sense that you mean. Not at all. I could give the example of you're watching a film that you really like. You're really into Civil War history and watching it, and you're totally into this Battle of Gettysburg. Meanwhile, your wife, who's not interested at all, she's watching with 10% of her consciousness, and then she's also planning supper for tonight or, or for tomorrow or whatever, and she's thinking about how she's going to visit a friend of hers the next day. Uh, you see what I mean? It's like the kids in the classroom. If you're in a class that the subject interests you, it totally fascinates you, well, you give it all the more attention. And if you're bored with it, you're looking out the window, you're thinking of this or that, you know what I mean. Everybody's experienced this. To see what hypnosis is, let's consider the opposite of hypnosis. The opposite of hypnosis is not your state of consciousness now, nor is it mine. I admit I'm hypnotized. What do I mean by that? I mean, because I'm focused on talking to you through this microphone here, I'm not focused on, for example, maybe a child saying something in the next block that I could hear if I were not so focused on talking to you. I'm not so focused on other things happening, a little bug flying around or whatever, because I'm focused on talking to you. So to a certain extent, I'm hypnotized. The opposite of hypnosis would be, I say would because it's extremely uncommon, when your mind is totally open. If you've ever had a moment like that, you're very lucky because most people have never had such a moment. Except maybe people who meditate. I don't meditate. But you know, in meditation, there's a type of meditation I forget what it's called in yoga or whatever. But where you totally try to abolish conscious thoughts. We all have this inner monologue thinking, oh, I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to, oh, well, what am I going to do now? Or I'm focused on this. Oh, isn't this interesting, the movie I'm watching, whatever. You try to get rid of all these thoughts going through your mind, to empty your mind. But because you empty your mind, you're aware of so much more. You can hear a leaf dropping because your mind is open, more open for all sounds if you have your eyes open for all sights. But you don't focus on any one of them. This is, in a sense, in a sense, a bit related to Bart Simpson in the back of the class. Now, no, Bart Simpson is considering something, but, oh, I'm considering that girl here, and I'm considering on, on using my slingshot to shoot something at the teacher. You know? So he is concentrating, but only for short amounts of time. But imagine the kid in class. This is really a different type. It's not really the Bart Simpson type, the dreamer. There's one in every classroom. He's not, he's listening to the teacher a little bit, but he's looking out the window. Oh, look at that bird there. I wonder what type of bird, what that bird called. And, oh, my mother's not mad because I didn't do this and I didn't clean my room. All these stray thoughts going through his mind. But then also his mind is so open that he's a receptor for anything his imagination puts forth. Fantasies of this type, ideas of this type, plans for his future of this type, you know what I mind. you know what I mean? The relatively totally open mind that just anything can get into it. That's the opposite of hypnosis. And that is why the hypnotist will wave this little watch or will speak in a certain way, or will put his hand on your head. There are many, many techniques. He does this to focus your attention on his words because if you have a mind that's that open, that's going here, that you can't, you're not going to concentrate what he says, so you're not a good subject. You see how that works? You see how simple it is. So consider your consciousness to be like a camera shutter. Throughout the day, it's opening more widely and it's closing. Opening, more focus, less focus. 
opening more to include more things and then closing. You know, you're watching TV and it's a really interesting scene and your spouse says something you don't hear him or her. You just don't hear her because you're so focused on whatever you're doing. And yet you have the opposite phenomenon. You have to study something or you want to learn something and you can't focus on it. You have all these other thoughts. That's, that's a lack of hypnosis. In other words, your mental shutter is open so widely. You're open for so many things. You can't focus on what's in front of you. Boy, we all know that problem, don't we? So basically, that's what hypnosis is. Let me tell you, the things I'm teaching, in part, are ideas I've developed over the years. But in part, they're, of course, from others. Uh, good books I had when I learned hypnosis. And one good book, though it's not a book on hypnosis, the Seth series of books. Jane Roberts' The Seth Books might seem far out to you. Seth was some non-embodied entity that this Jane Roberts was channeling. If you don't know these books, I'd recommend, first of all, The Nature of Personal Reality. Boy, can they expand your mind. As I, I recall, Seth talked about this phenomenon and this idea of the consciousness opening closing. So that's not original with me. I don't want to pretend that it is. Some of the things I'll tell you are maybe somewhat original. Others I picked up along the way, some observations, some from books. I'd like to give credit to Everybody I've learned from, authors, for example, Kurt Tepperwein, I believe his name was, a German writer who wrote a good book on hypnosis, but it's only in German. There are many books on hypnosis you can get, but not all explain things as, uh, as broadly as I'm going to be doing. Right? So we have the phenomenon of hypnosis that you all basically know already, even if you've never been hypnotized, because we're always in a certain degree of hypnosis. Maybe you're now... I hope at least 50% hypnotized. You're concentrating on what I'm saying. But maybe you're thinking of other things. You're not really listening to me. So only maybe 5% focused. Like I said, the degree of hypnosis you're in is the degree of focus you're giving one specific thing. You get that? The degree of, the degree of hypnosis that you are subject to right now is the degree that you're focused on one thing right now. And if your mind is hopping from here or there, then you're relatively less hypnotized. And there's nothing wrong with being hypnotized. We can't learn quickly. Who learns more quickly? A set of, say, 10 vocabulary words. The, po the person totally focused on that and fascinated by it. Or the person thinking, oh, I have to le learn these words for class. Well, let's see, what's number one? Uh, Durchgang, I'm say, learning German. Oh, what's that? Uh, oh, yeah, it's like a passageway. Or what, okay, well, what's the second way? You're not really focused, and so you don't remember too well. If you're totally focused, you're going to learn it much more quickly. It's simple. Because you've hypnotized yourself without knowing it, you've focused your attention. So that's the one thing, hypnosis. And hypnosis is nothing scary, nothing whatsoever. It's absolutely necessary. Two phenomena. You're out in the street and you trip and fall. And you know that phenomenon? Everything seems to go in slow motion. That's a type of hypnosis, a very important type of hypnosis. The interesting thing here is on the one hand, you're focused on what's happening. On the other hand is your consciousness expands to include everything that's important for you at that moment. You see how it's going both ways. I had a pretty bad fall a couple months ago when I was out jogging. It wasn't that my mind was wandering or whatever. It's, it's some little part of the sidewalk that had been raised and it was impossible to see because everything was black. Ironically, a few days after I fell, the city, I guess a lot of people fell there, so they, they marked it in fluorescent paint. I thought, why didn't you do that last week and I wouldn't have tripped? But anyway, I still remember as I was falling, things seemed to go in slow motion, right? 
And it's interesting. I mean, I was just thinking, I hope I don't kill myself. Oh, my face was all bashed. It was terrible. I had to go to the hospital. I'm fine now, though. For all you who care. <laughs> you, know, you notice when it happened to you or maybe a, a real loved one, you really care. For somebody you don't really know, well, oh, that's a shame, Dave. You fell and bashed up your face. I hope you're all right. But then you go into something else immediately. And that's a normal reaction. <laughs> you know, we can't shed tears over the misfortune of everybody we hear of or we go crazy. But anyway... That phenomenon that I'm sure you know, this slow motion sort of thing, that they do that in films too. A car runs over a cliff and look, it's going slow motion because that's the way people in that car experience it, right? And maybe if you're observing it because it shocks you so much. Let's examine that for a moment. What's happening? I remember as I was falling. On the one hand, I'm totally focused on what's happening. So I'm totally hypnotized. Why? That's an evolutionary reaction to preserve my life. Because if, if I, as I'm falling, I'm thinking of, oh, what are we going to have for supper and all these things? Then I don't put my hands up in time and I fall flat in my face and I kill myself. So you must focus what's happening. On the other hand, and this is what makes that sort of event so interesting. On the one hand, my consciousness is totally focused on what's happening. But it's not as though I'm just looking at that part of the pavement where I'm going to fall. That would be total focus. No. My consciousness at the same time is open for anything around me that might help me. So I'm totally hypnotized on the one in one sense, totally focused on what is happening. But in another sense, my consciousness is expanding to include everything around me. Is there something I can grasp onto? For example, there was a fence separating the, the sidewalk from the street, but it was too far away for me to grab onto. Is there a tree I can grab onto? Is there something, some good way to put down my hands? In other words, as far as that little scenario was concerned, I was, as I said, totally focused on the event, in that sense, almost totally hypnotized. But at the same time, my consciousness was not narrowly focused on my surroundings. It was totally open to those immediate surroundings. And all of the elements in those immediate surroundings in, a, I guess, a desperate attempt to find something that might help me, something to grab onto, some soft, whether it was a little grass near there, maybe I could manage to land on the grass instead of the pavement. You see what I mean? A more smooth part of the pavement on which to slap down my hand so I don't so the I don't bear the brunt on my face. You see what I mean? That's very interesting, isn't it? But yes, in that situation you're hypnotized in in two ways. More narrow focus, total focus on the event, but on the other hand your consciousness expands as much as possible within your surroundings to perceive anything that might be of help in saving your life, perhaps, right? Very interesting, that. Normally, every day, you can test yourself. As you go through the day, note the moments, just mentally, note the moments when you're most focused. When you really, You'll notice the things that interest you focus you much more. <laughs> you will really notice that. And the things that you think, well, I, I ought to do this. I ought to do some work now. But you're not really up to it. You don't really feel like doing it. And you'll notice how your mind wanders much more. I mean, you know this. I'm not telling you anything new with that. But I'm calling this hypnosis because hypnosis is really a, a narrowing of your consciousness. Now we get the more interesting stuff. Well, more, more interesting stuff, I should say. Uh, suggestion. Just as a glove <laughs> serves no purpose without a hand to put in it, Hypnosis, well, except for evolutionary events like falling, doesn't serve too much purpose unless we use suggestion to accompany it. You think about that for a second or two. 
what's the sense in purposely focusing your consciousness if then you don't put any suggestions into it? In other words, I'm going to focus, I'm going to focus on one point I'm staring at, or I'm going to watch a metronome going back and forth, you know, just to focus my consciousness. You do this normally for the purpose of then putting into your consciousness some kind of suggestion. If you use self-hypnosis, for example, or if somebody's hypnotizing you, they will hypnotize you using any one of many, many different techniques. The technique you choose, by the way, depends on the person you're with. Remember I said that hypnotist at that high school event didn't want to pick me. He picked four other people. I know now why. I'm an especially analytical person and a good hypnotist. He can see that in your face. He can look around, he can look around the room. Oh, that person, that person. Oh, these are ones that are more suggestible. They're more open to suggestion. Well, but that guy there, he's an analyst. He's a critic. And I certainly was even in high school. And so he wouldn't pick me because he knew that's not going to work with this guy. Almost certainly it's not going to work with this guy. So let's pick out people. He picked out a guy, really nice guy, but he's more emotional guy. And that's the type you want to pick. And it worked with him like a charm, let me tell you. He was, he, he made a paper necklace, just a piece of paper, you know, twisted around. And he said, look, I'm going to give you this gold chain. Isn't this beautiful? And the guy said, oh, my God, it's beautiful. It's gold. He, kids were laughing, of course. But this guy was totally hypnotized. He said, oh, my God, it's a gold chain. That must be worth a fortune. Yes, it's worth a fortune. And I'm going to give it to you. Here's a present. He put it over the guy's head. And the guy, wow, this gold chain this is worth hundreds. Well, back then, today it would be worth thousands, but then hundreds. And we're talking about 19, when it, 1973 here, right? Oh, my God, this was worth a couple hundred bucks. And, and then he was bragging, look what I got here, people. I have this beautiful neck. And all the kids were laughing, of course, because it was just a, a paper chain. But he was a good hypnotic subject. You remember this little story. You've seen other things like it on TV, stage hypnotists. You remember it. Because within this tale is the key to understanding human behavior like you wouldn't believe. And I don't just mean hypnotize people. Why did this person, I'll give him a name. Not the last time we give him first name, Jonathan. Really nice guy. I only went to one class reunion. It was the, what was it, 40th? And I saw him again. Some people age well, some not so well. My class really aged well. And he was such, still such a nice guy, <laughs> let me tell you. And he had the good fortune to be a good hypnotic subject. And the fact that, you know, kids laughed at him. He was good sport. He didn't care. And people said afterwards when he was woken up for his hypnosis, Jonathan, that was only paper. He said, huh? I don't remember anything. But he's a really good sport, a really great guy. But just as he was made to believe he was wearing a gold chain, because hypnotized, people can be made to believe anything. Boy, is that a powerful statement. But believe me, my friends, people can be made to believe anything. Now it gets dark and nefarious. In the course of these lectures on hypnosis, I'm going to explain things to you, and I will bet that if you just give them a little bit of serious thought, you say, oh my God, he's right. Why didn't I see this before? Some of you, no doubt, have seen this before, and others, it would be like a waking up, you think, oh my God, this is true. I'm telling you some powerful stuff here. People can be made to believe anything you can imagine. Then I say, well, Dave, how are you going to do that? Because in the case of uh, my friend Jonathan or other people, when you try to hypnotize somebody, you wave the watch or use some other technique. But we can't do that with everybody. 
here's the second law of the human mind, or is it the third? I, I didn't number these things. I'm just throwing them out there for your perusal, for your consideration. Another law of the human mind, as pertains to hypnosis, there are two ways you can hypnotize somebody. And please note this. What I'm telling you in these talks of hypnosis, these can, are potential life changers. No, they are life changers. Once you understand these things, you're going to reach a level of comprehension that you can't even imagine yet. Unless you know these things already, but then you're really in a minority, let me tell you. Two ways can people be hypnotized, and I will give you an example of how it worked in my life. In a, not, I wouldn't say a bad sense, was a good sense, it was simply how it was. I went to Catholic school. And every day we stood up before classes to say, I think it was a Hail Mary, Hail Mary, you know, folding your hands. And afterwards, I, I talked about this in some other context in one of my other podcast episodes. After the prayer, we turned 45 degrees to the right to the corner of the room in front where there's American flag. And our hands went from being folded, you know, prayer position to one left hand down and right hand over the heart. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, etc., etc. No, I'm not Joe Biden. I could remember it, actually. <laughs> but I won't, I won't bore you with that. You know it yourself, I would imagine. What is that? Well, if you do that once, fine. But imagine kids do that every single day. Well, Monday through Friday. And the next week, the same. The next week, the same. This is a form of hypnosis. I'm not saying it's bad. Because you can use hypnosis very good things to improve your life in practically any way imaginable. But what this is, is programming the human mind. It was a Catholic school with nuns. Their task is to make good little Catholics and good little Americans. And that's one of the techniques they used. Uh, probably not a single one of those nuns thought, oh my God, this is a form of hypnosis. I, I bet not a single one of them thought that. It was just tradition. But that's what traditions do. You teach your children to pray, and that's a form of hypnosis. Not that it's bad. I could consider it, depending on what prayers you say, I consider a very good form of hypnosis. The Pledge of Allegiance, I'm not saying that's bad at all. That can be very good to create good citizens. But it doesn't work with the watch. You had the kids say one Hail Mary and say one Pledge of Allegiance, it's not going to influence the kid, but if it says every day. In other words, there are two ways to hypnotize human beings. One is in a concentrated effort to attract their attention, to focus their attention, whether it's with the watch or with your voice or with some other object or with uh, some surprise technique. You know, uh, you might have, with hypnosis, there's always a subject, you can't hypnotize me. You can't put me to sleep. You say, well, let's try it. And you start saying, oh, you're, but then you don't say to them, your, your eyelids are getting heavy because you see they're on me, they're contrary. You tell that type of personality that they're going to keep their eyes, that their eyes are going to fall shut, they'll keep their eyes open. So you say, you'll say, it would be nice to close your eyes. You'd feel much better. But no, you're going to keep those eyes open. Keep them open. Oh, wait, they move. No, no, keep them open because you know they're going to do the opposite. And before, before you know it, their eyes are closed. In other words, reverse psychology. Oh, there's so many tricks. I'm not telling you this so you can go out and practice on practice on your wife or your, <laughs> your neighbor. I'm not telling you this. I'm not going to go into the concrete techniques of hypnosis, how to do it. It's not about that. It's about something much bigger, much more important. It's about, first of all, realizing that we're always under some degree of hypnosis because we never have a totally open conscious mind, practically never. 
Maybe in some moment of great illumination you will. But besides that, you're not going to experience that. Our minds are always focused to some degree. So there's always some degree of hypnosis. In certain moments, like when you fall, your mind will explain that phenomenon already, right? Total focus on the event, but open the mind as much as possible for the surroundings to, to, to save yourself. The same thing, uh, you're walking down the street and you see two thugs that see you and they're looking at you and they start crossing. And you see these guys are bad news. And you see they're younger than you, no doubt they can run faster. So running away is not an option. You think, oh my God, I'm going to have to try to fight them or get out of this using psychology or whatever. What does your mind do? You focus on these two thugs. Are they pulling a gun? Are they taking out a weapon? Uh, how strong do they both look? Which one should I attack first if it comes to that? But at the same time, on the one hand, you're focused on the danger. You're very hypnotized at that point. But your mind at the same time is expanding to the surroundings. Is there a cop around? Are there other people around? Are there witnesses around? Are more thugs coming to join them? Is there something here I can grab to use as a weapon if need be? You see what I mean? It's the same thing as falling. Probably two things you never connected, but they are connected, let me tell you. I give you so many examples of these things. But let those two suffice now. To get back to the suggestion, the reason why you hypnotize people is to then give them the suggestion. The stage hypnotist does it for entertainment. And he tells one person going to prance around and cluck like a chicken. Uh, the other, like the guy I mentioned, they said, you're going to, oh, look at this paper. Uh, look at this chain I have. It's a gold chain. It's just made out of paper, right? You give them a suggestion. So why do they accept that suggestion? You say, oh, because hypnosis is mysterious. And it's magical. And it might be demonic. You know, some people, some religious people say, oh, hypnosis, that's it. That must be Satan's work. No, it's not Satan's work. No, no, no. It's as normal as as anything in human life. Because as I said, we're hypnotized right now to a certain degree. I hope you're not in a state now that you're totally focused on my words, you can't hear anything. I don't think it's that extreme in your case. Think about it. But if you find this podcast interesting, you're focused more than you were before listening to it, most likely, right? And all of this is hypnosis. Now, when we talk about focusing your consciousness so much that you that you don't perceive practically anything else. Well, that's a different thing. You usually have to work to get to that state, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. For example, when I was falling, I didn't work to get myself in that hypnotic state. All I had to do was trip like a dummy, <laughs> you know, well, or not notice that, <laughs> that, that little fatal flaw in the sidewalk and I tripped, right? It wasn't what I was trying to get a hypnotic state, but that happened automatically. This can happen automatically. If somebody hits you, that happens. Think about it. Or somebody tries to hit you. If you've had any training in fighting, martial arts, boxing, whatever, you know, somebody raise a hand, try to hit you, and automatically you block. I had that experience one time in the street. So he's going to grab me or hit me. I was going to try. And automatically I blocked his hand away. And then he didn't try it again, fortunately. But if you don't have training in that, you might actually end up getting hit. In any case, in either of those cases, it's like hypnosis. You're totally focused on the danger in front of you. And if somebody actually hits you, you go into like a state of hypnosis because you have to survive. Then you're totally focused on what's happening. And if you're not, then your chances of survival are lowered significantly. So once again, to take the fear out of this hypnosis thing, hypnosis itself is a totally natural phenomenon. And to be hypnotized to some kind of extent, we have that all the time. We really have that all the time. 
However, there's an interesting point in our day, I should say usually at night, when we go to sleep. Let's examine this a little. You ever have insomnia? Maybe it's just one day. I, I really don't suffer from that. But every once in a while, I'm thinking about something so much that I can't get to sleep. You get into bed, you keep thinking about it, and you can't get to sleep. Why? Because you're hypnotized with one subject. And also, then the inner dialogue starts. Read those Seth books for about the inner dialogue. Boy, is that important. The inner dialogue is simply the conversation we have with ourselves all day. This little voice. You know, you're walking down the street. And you're thinking, maybe even in words and sentences, with some people it's more images. You think, what am I going to do when I get home? Well, let's see, I have to finish this job I was doing, and I should do that, I should call a friend. And you're basically talking to yourself in your inner mind, right? But if you go to bed thinking about, say, some problem or some argument you had or whatever, you're trying to go to sleep, but you can't get your mind off that. You're, you've been hypnotized by that subject. And then you say, oh, no. Now I can't get to sleep because I keep thinking about that. <laughs> Let's think about that sentence. Now I can't get to sleep because I'm thinking about that. And you keep thinking about, oh, no, I try to think about something else, but it's like saying, don't think of a pink elephant, <laughs> you know, that little thing. And everybody thinks of a pink elephant, right? So, no, I don't, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about that, but I keep thinking about it, and now I can't get to sleep. By saying I can't get to sleep because I keep thinking about that, you are hypnotizing yourself, my friend, because that's a suggestion. First of all, you're telling yourself, I can only think about this. I can't get my mind off that. That's a suggestion. In other words, your mind has been focused, hypnosis, by thinking about a certain subject. Say it's an argument you have with your boss or whatever. Well, I don't have a boss at work among, but anyway. You have an argument with a boss or whoever it is, right, a friend. Yeah, I had an argument with a friend a number of months ago, and you keep thinking about that. That night, I kept thinking, oh, my God, he's such a good friend. I want to have an argument about these things. And you keep thinking about it. And you think, oh my God, now I can't get to sleep because I'm thinking about it. And so I was hypnotizing myself to not be able to get to sleep. <laughs> you see how that works. Hypnosis, the total focus on one subject that you can't get your mind on anything else. And then the suggestion, the result of that. Oh, I can't, I can't come up with a solution. How am I going to solve this problem? I can't solve this problem. How am I going to solve it? I don't know how to solve it. You're giving yourself negative suggestions. And then, because I'm focused on this problem, I can't get to sleep. I can't get to sleep. Another negative suggestion. And so what happens if you can't get to sleep? Uh, just a little tip. How do you get to sleep then? You think of something else that rivets your attention. Of course, if you're focused on an argument with a good friend that's really so important for you, uh, it's hard to get your mind off of that. But think of something else. It could be sex. It could be uh, 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 something, something in, in music if you're a musician. It could be something that happened in your childhood. It could be something. Think of something else that could rivet your attention for a while, and then you'll get to sleep. But don't stay focused on it. Tell yourself, because I'm focused on it, suggestion, I won't be able to get to sleep, negative suggestion. And so that's exactly what happens. You see how that works. It's really, really very simple. Hypnosis. Nothing wrong with that, nothing diabolical about it, nothing to be feared, because we're always in that state. It's just a question of degree. Such things can actually save your life. <laughs> Not just when you're falling. I've had experience with, say, street thugs, where I psyched them out. Depending on how you act, that influences them psychologically. I won't go into details. I think in some other talk I went into example or two from my life there. 
if you know how the human mind works, you're better off in every situation, whether it's a job, whether it's working with a boss, whether it's in a, in a debate, whether it's an argument, whether it's a, almost going to be a fight or whatever, you're better off if you know how the mind works. First, you should get to know how your mind works. Get to know these rules of the human mind. I could say almost laws of human nature and their consciousness, not how we're always in some kind of hypnotic state. How do you focus? That? Okay, let me let me give you this example, something you already know. Right? Imagine with somebody and they totally flip out. It could be a person with mental illness. It could be a person just so panicky because something happened. And they're just totally flipped out and I don't know what it, it could be about anything. Some people really panic. Oh my God, this, this is going to happen and I'm going to lose my And What's the best thing you do? Sometimes you slap in the face or just that, not slap in the face, just clap your hands. We ever with people that are just so worried, so fearful about something, or they're worried, so, and they're getting, oh my God, and this and that. Sometimes I just go, and huh, what, what? Ah, that's hypnosis. That's hypnosis. Why? Because before I clapped, I hope that wasn't too loud for your ears here. I hope my hands weren't too close to the microphone. Before that, they were totally focused on something negative, and they were flipping, oh my God, this is going to, and then you clap, and, and you're like, oh, what's happening? Because they hear that loud noise. To their subconscious, that signal, oh, possible danger. So then they're focused on you when you're clapping. And then they, and then the mind sets in, why did he clap like that? They don't understand it. So now suddenly they've gone from focus on one thing that was causing their hysteria on something totally different. Why did this guy clap his hands? Could, it, could he be dangerous? And why would he do such a thing? So you've totally switched their consciousness from one train of thought to another. It works. Believe me, it works. You can use these things also to influence people. Oh, I could tell you things about the flirtation game <laughs> that I'm not going to tell you lest some of you young whippersnappers out there misuse it. <laughs> but how to focus people's attention. I, I say I never I did hypnosis at, at the beginning. I gave it up then. I really don't like the idea of influencing people like that unless it's really necessary. Yes, I've done things. I might have mentioned that in other podcasts. I don't know. Sometimes repeat myself, but I'm 65 years old. What do you expect from an older guy, right? <laughs> Probably did the same thing when I was younger, but that's beside the point here. Once I had a girlfriend and she had a bad mosquito bite. She said, oh, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I recognize immediately she's giving herself negative suggestions. Sure, it itched. But then, oh my God, I, just, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I said, you know, I have the perfect thing for this. It's some kind of ointment. And I guarantee you, this is going to take away this thing. You'll be able to sleep with no problem at all. I go out and I get some normal hand cream, <laughs> a little dab of it, saying, okay, I'm going to put this on, you'll see. In 30 seconds, that itch is totally gone. I put it on, and sure enough, the itch was gone, placebo effect. It was just a normal hand cream. It was nothing. It was nothing, really. And she slept like a baby then. So that was a type of hypnosis, type of suggestion, right? Because placebo effect is a type of suggestion, right? It's not the hypnosis. It, it is focused in a way because I was extolling the virtues of this cream. I have this ointment. And I say, this is real. I've used it many times, which is a lie. I was lying to her. I use it many times, and it's always helped me so much. And it's, it helps other people. It's going to work for you too. And it worked for her. But I had to lie to her to get it to work. Now, I did help her. And of course, if I were in a situation where, I don't know, somebody has an accident and they're suffering great pain, I would know things to say to at least minimize that pain by type of hypnosis. You can use this for very good things. But some people like hypnosis because it gives them a sense of power over others. I never, I don't feel comfortable with that. I'm not a power seeker. Oh, I understand how these people think. 
I'm not going to go into politics now. I have in many other podcast episodes how these power-hungry creatures think in Washington and around the world. I know how they think, but I don't share that mode of thought. I'm not on some kind of power trip here. I don't feel comfortable with myself. I think we all have, we all should expand our consciousnesses. We all should learn how to think clearly and, and use, the, use those tools to, to become freer, not to follow what other people say, but we're living in an, epi an episode of human history when uh, everybody's you know, following what others say, what governments say, what the stars say. It's, no, it's about, that should only be about evidence and about sound reasoning. But human, that's why human beings are so easy to mislead. Look up, if you will, the project MKUltra. It was a CIA project begun, I believe, in the 60s. Look into that. If you want to know what the word nefarious means, read about that. It was a project to control human minds. In other words, they did unethical experiments with people with extremes of hypnosis, using drugs even, LSD, thing, just to see how much they can mold human thinking. Wow. Talk about evil. I would call that evil. Hypnosis is not evil. Hypnosis is your friend. It's a perfectly natural phenomenon. Once again, think about when you go to sleep on a normal night when you're not frustrated because you had an argument with a good friend or something like that, or you didn't have any trouble with your boss or whatever, on a normal night and you want to go to sleep. What happens to your mind? Have you ever analyzed that? To go to sleep easily and successfully, it's not a question really of focusing on something that, for example, really interests you because then you'll stay awake thinking about it. It's a question of letting go of those things. And this is hard for people. This is especially hard for people who think a lot. I mean, I'm one of those, but I know how to overcome that. I have a friend, well, a friend in Spain, well, quite a few friends in Spain, but one who's a real thinker, and he has trouble in, with insomnia because he thinks so much, and I guess he doesn't know how to release. What you have to do, and you'll notice this if you analyze it, it's kind of similar to falling. You ever have that phenomenon bed? You're going to sleep, and suddenly... Your leg moves really quickly because you have the sensation you're falling. It is a type of falling in a way. You're falling asleep. Your consciousness, your focused mind, you know, that is conscious of things, is having to let go to fall into sleep. You're giving yourself over to the force of the subconscious where one image comes and go. Images are coming and going, the thoughts, ideas, fantasies, anything just coming and leaving your mind. But it's about letting go to go to sleep. The person who has no sleep problems is the person who knows how to let go psychologically. And that's related to this phenomenon as well, in a sense. With hypnosis, what happens is, maybe paradoxically so, the hypnotist, for example, hypnotizes you, focuses your consciousness. And then you can forget afterwards. He tells you you're not going to remember things. If you're a good subject, you won't remember things. So it's as if you were asleep. But on the other hand, you are focused on something, but that's what he's saying. And that's why hypnosis seems so strange, because it's not really totally being awake. It's not being asleep. It seems like some kind of mysterious sleep, which in a sense, I suppose it is. I'm not revealing all the physiological secrets of hypnosis. I think nobody really knows what happens in the human consciousness. You know, they might have, well, they can do these brain scans and see what parts of your brain are activated when you hypnotize. But that doesn't give the final answers what's really happening with your consciousness. What I'm telling you are really practical things, though, that that explain to a remarkable degree certain phenomena of human consciousness and thinking. 
Think of a fanatic, the typical, whether it's ISIS, Al-Qaeda, or religious fanatic of old, or, or of new, whatever, or political fanatic. What distinguishes a fanatic? First of all, a fanatic is always right. A fanatic will never say, you know, I believe in, in, in the Quran, for example. The Quran is absolute truth. Well, maybe it's absolute truth. Maybe it's not. A fanatic never says that, no. A Christian fanatic never says, well, the Bible, I believe it's true, but, you know, I could be wrong. Maybe it's 60% chances. Oh, no, no. Max says, I know everything in this book is true. Even if you can point out to that person obvious contradictions within the Bible. Instead of saying, well, I guess the Bible isn't totally true. They won't say that if it's a real fanatic. They'll say, well, no, it must be true. You're just not interpreting right. He said, no, but look here. You know, I can give you mathematical proof that there's at least one error in the Bible. I won't do that now, but I can do that. I'll give you a little hint. 42 does not equal 43. Let's <laughs> see if anybody figures that one out. 42 does not equal 43. It's impossible. And with that, in a future podcast, I'll entertain you with those thoughts. I'm not saying there's nothing good in the Bible. There's a lot of good things in the Bible. But there are also obvious contradictions. Much of what's in the Bible is simply not true. But a fanatic will pretend that everything is true. And when reading it, he or she simply won't see the contradictions. Because if you're hypnotized, you simply don't see things. Just as somebody hypnotizes you and, well, a hypnotist hypnotizes you and says, look at this green bowl here. I have a cereal bowl in front of me here. <laughs> the green bowl. Uh, look at this blue bowl here. This bowl is a beautiful shade of blue. And no matter how green it is, even if you're not colorblind, you're going to think, oh, yes, a blue, beautiful blue bowl. He says, I'm going to wake you up now. And until I say the magic word, you're going to talk, be, be thinking this bowl is, is really blue. And you will believe it then if you're a good subject. Now I have to get into another fear people have hypnosis. You might say to me, okay, uh, suppose, David, somebody hypnotizes you and says, and says, you will only hear my words. You will only hear what I'm saying to you, you know, to focus your consciousness. What happens if a hypnotist then has a heart attack and dies? That means you'll never hear anything. You'll be totally deaf for the rest of your life. You can't hear his words because he's dead now. You, he can't bring you out hypnosis because you know he told you, you, you only hear my words. You only hear my words, right? And so will you be deaf for the rest of your life? No, you won't be. In cases like that, what happens is maybe for an hour or so you wouldn't hear anything, but then you come back to normal. So these fears of you know somebody hypnotizes you and then they drop dead and then you're in a trance for the rest of your life. No. I don't, I've never read of a single case of that. That doesn't happen. It simply does not happen. Uh, so there's no, no reason to fear that. Right? Uh, a good hypnotist might say, uh, you will focus practically totally on what I'm saying. Should I stop talking, you will immediately go back to normal. <laughs> so that if you have the heart attack, <laughs> should I stop talking for more than a minute, <laughs> uh, you'll immediately go back to normal. For example, there are little tricks you can use just to reassure the person, but that's not even necessary. Hypnosis is not dangerous. However, suggestion can be extremely dangerous. It can also be extremely helpful and a wonderful, beautiful thing. To suggest to people that there is good in human beings and that life is more positive and we have many reasons to be happy, that's a beautiful thing and it's suggestion as well. Let me present this for your consideration. At any moment, and I don't care who you are, at any moment of your life, any moment of the day, you can come up with, if you really think, use your imagination, 
a number of reasons to be totally happy in your life or totally miserable. Take your pick. Did you understand that? At any moment, you come up with a list of reasons to be miserable or a list of reasons to be happy. Now, maybe there are exceptions. If you're being held prisoner in some CIA dungeon and they're waterboarding you three times a day, <laughs> well, okay, you can say, at least they're not chopping off my hands. But then I could use examples, suppose it's Al-Qaeda and they're chopping off your hands. You say, well, at least they're not chopping off my legs. I don't know. <laughs> you know, There's some situations where it, it practically can't get any worse. You know. <laughs> it could, but you have to really go to extremes. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who say, oh, I'm depressed. Why are you depressed? Well, because my, my wife left me last month and, and, you know, that could do it, of course. And because I don't have a job either, well, yeah, that could do it too. And, uh, and because I, I have hearing problems, I could do it too. But on the other hand, that same person could have another take on these things, no? That same, because some people, maybe their wife leaves them, maybe they love the wife. You have a friend in college, really remarkable guy. And one time a girl he loved left him. And you can tell he's somewhat depressed, but within less than a day, he said, you know, I'm really grateful for what happened. I said, why? He said, well, if she hadn't left me sooner or later, because he was like a ladies man, sooner or later, I would have left her. And that's so emotionally difficult to do. So really, she saved me all that trouble and, <laughs> and emotional pain of having to tell her. And now I look for another girlfriend and we both laughed and laughed. And sure enough, and within probably a week, he had another girlfriend. You see, it's about attitude. It's about attitude. I know there's some circumstance in life where you, you have so many reasons to feel down and, and these are like emotional currents that overcome you. I'm gonna go into that in a future talk as well. Uh, the suggestion though, I said this can be dangerous, it could be a godsend as well. Now, once again, think of the fanatic. What does the fanatic do? The fanatic convinces himself, and I'm not gonna use Islam as an example. Not because I'm, <laughs> I'm Muslim, I'm certainly not. But because, you know, they're always the, the ones that have to take the, <laughs> take the pain. Oh, these fanatical Muslims. In, in history, we've had enough fanatical Christians, you know, burning people at stakes. Why? Because they're murderers? No, because one of them would, might dare to say, well, Jesus Christ is the son of God. Therefore, he must be younger than God. So he hasn't existed as long as God. They would burn you at the stake for that if you said 500 years ago, say, in Italy. No, no. Jesus Christ and, and God the Father are co-eternal. Yes, yeah, true, one's the son, but that doesn't mean he was born later. No, ridiculous things like that. They would burn people at the stake. So yeah, Christianity has had its fanatics. It, it, it still does, but very few, I think. These are very few. Who's going to go out and murder somebody because they think Jesus Christ isn't quite as old as God the Father? I mean, you have to be insane. today you'd have to be insane to really uh, want to kill people for that. But throughout history, this has happened. Why has it happened? And I'm going to surprise you again. I'm going to give you a logical explanation why it happened. Why it was logical to burn those people at the stake? You're going to say, David, you must be crazy. First, you're saying how terrible it is to be fanatical and everything. And now you're trying to defend the fanatics. Yes, I'll do that. And it's just an example. If you live in a religious society, if you believe that everything in, in your dogma, in your faith is true, and you believe that everything that you believe, whether, whether it's Catholicism, Lutheranism, uh, Episcopalian, Anglican, uh, I don't know, Mennonite, whatever it is, if you believe 
that you possess the total truth. And that's God's, it's not just your truth that you've learned from the elders or from the priests or whatever. You believe this is what God himself wants. If you really believe that 100%, how could you not be fanatic? How could you not be a fanatic? How could you not be fanatical? If you believe all of the dogma in your religion is true. In other words, if your religion teaches you that at the consecration of the host, the communion, the Catholics, yes, the substance changed. They used to teach the host went from being bread to being the body of Christ until people started to think more. And they said, well, it's, it, that the bread doesn't really transform. Because remember, even when I was a child, when the priest raised that host, you were supposed to cast your eyes downward. You know, you weren't supposed to even look at it. It was so holy. And what was like 500 years ago, for a lot of those primitive peasants, this was the, there was, it's magic. The bread turns in the body of Christ, but then I forget when this exact happened. And some theologian can correct me if I'm wrong here, but then they had to start getting more metaphysical because with the rise of science, you know, people say, wait a minute, just a piece of bread, even after consecration. So then it was about the substance changing. What substance? Well, you can't see it, but it's, uh, well, something there is changing. But okay, to compare that to Lutheranism, Martin Luther taught the same thing at the beginning. It really changes. But then now Lutherans think, well, it's just a symbol. You know, some Catholics think it's a symbol too, but that's not what's in their dogma. No, there's really a transubstantiation here going on. But imagine when to kill somebody because they say that, that it's only a symbol and it's not really a change in substance. Can you imagine when to kill somebody because of that? But people used to do it. Why did they do it? Because that's the main point here with hypnosis suggestion. It's because they were totally convinced of something. And what they were convinced of, namely that, you know, transubstantiation is what God teaches. How could you go against what God teaches? In other words, the Muslim fanatic that says, hey, people know about the Quran and they reject it. Therefore, they're, you know, they're, it's open season on them. Therefore, we can kill them because it says so in the Quran and it does because I read it. Even Christians and Jews, they have a holy book. But if they know of Muhammad and the message of Muhammad and they don't follow it, then yes, you can oppress them. You can even kill them. A jihad you can have against them. And if you believe that, then if you believe that's what Allah, that is, that's what God wants, how could you not do that? In other words, these people are the true believers. They're doing what their holy book tells them. Christians, fortunately, really don't believe that strongly anymore. If they did, they'd still be killing each other for their different interpretations. But they've lo largely lost their dogmas, which is a good thing, let me tell you. But they're not aware of it. They just be, have become more inclusive. Well, I'm Lutheran, you're Catholic. He's a bit, oh, that's fine. And they don't think about these differences. But without these differences, then, then what's the sense of having all these denominations? You know, in America, even 40 years ago, I think there were 250 different types of Christianity. Now there are probably 500. What's the sense of them all if you don't really believe that what you're following is really God's truth? And if you do think it's God's truth, you have to be a fanatic. Wait, that's, that's food for thought, isn't it? But the problem here is totally believing something without critical thought. Now, I said there are two types of hypnosis. I didn't talk, I talked a lot about the, the watch or the full concentration. I didn't talk much about the other, just with the example of the classroom, with the prayer every day and the Pledge of Allegiance as an example. If you repeat something enough times, people will believe it. Oh, the CIA knows this. The Nazis knew this. There's some quote by a Nazi. I think it was Hermann Göring. He said, if you repeat something many, many times, you'll get, any, you'll get the masses to believe it. 
you think about this. Why does one side say Trump's baseless claims of election fraud? You know, they use the same term so often. Trump's, not, not the claims of millions of people and many analysts, no, Trump's baseless claims of election fraud. They repeat it again and again and again and again. You know, I'm always for looking at the evidence, studying the evidence. Have a joint task force, people on the left, people on the right. Let's go and have another audit. Let's have an audit in another state and another state, and let's both see what really happened. Oh, they don't want that. No, instead they just repeat. Trump's baseless claims of election fraud. Trump's baseless claims of election fraud. Trump's baseless claims of election fraud. Hail Mary, full of grace. I pledge allegiance to the flag. You see the connection? I'm not criticizing prayer. I'm not criticizing pledge of allegiance. I am criticizing repeating a stock phrase especially. Trump's basis claims election fraud so that then the sheep all believe it because they've heard it a thousand times. This is a known technique in propaganda, in the science of propaganda, because propaganda, my friends, has been raised to the status of a science. It's like psychology. Well, it's part of psychology. Psychology of the masses. The CIA uses it. The Nazis use it. Uh, the communists use it. Communists are experts in this. Maybe, maybe some of the world's greatest experts. Uh, these techniques were refined under the uh, government of Stalin, the Soviet Union, uh, under Mao, but we've used it as well. You repeat something again and again and again. Do you remember, you know, now most people believe in UFOs. They're talking about on Tucker Carlson, the military is releasing things. But remember just a few short years, maybe just maybe 20 years ago, remember you'd mentioned, yes, I think UFOs exist. There's evidence. Ah, oh, you must be crazy. And then that term came up. Oh, you must be a conspiracy theory. Where's your tinfoil hat? Once again, conspiracy theory, conspiracy, they use that also to discredit people. And you repeat, tinfoil hat, tinfoil hat, tinfoil hat, conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory. See what's happening. Trump's basis claims of election fraud, Trump's basis claims of election fraud. Instead of looking at the evidence, because all that matters, really, if you're looking for the truth, there are two paths, sound reasoning and evidence. In science as well, you can discover things in science using evidence. Through empirical studies, you can find evidence. Or Einstein, sound reasoning, using his imagination, but his reasoning was sure sound. We're still proving certain things that Einstein came up with. He wasn't able to prove certain things, but everyone's already, oh, this, this, uh, this idea of Einstein has been proven now. Because he had some pretty sound reasoning. Not that he was right on everything. But sound reasoning is evidence. Sound reasoning and evidence. And not simply repeat, uh, that's a lie, that's a lie. That's uh, Trump's basic claims of election fraud. Uh, no, 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 no. And I think in religion, too, we should be critical. We should examine. We should look for evidence of life after death. And evidence of life after death exists. My friends, I'll talk about that in the future as well, too. There is evidence. I didn't say proof. I said evidence. I distinguish very finely between the two. And sound reasoning can also lead us in that direction. And there's no reason why we shouldn't use reasoning and the search for evidence, even in religion, to give religion a sounder basis, in the hope that maybe a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, there won't be thousands of different religions, all of which, in some details at least, are going to contradict each other. Otherwise, it's the same religion. You're not going to have two religions that are exactly the same, because then it's one religion, right? If the Anglicans accepted the Pope, then basically they're Catholics again, because the ritual is pretty much the same as the Catholic Mass, right? Well, I'm sure some other things have changed now, too. And I'm not saying, you know, they should accept the Pope. No, I'm, certainly not this Pope. <laughs> that's another, that, that's a talk for another day. But sound reasoning evidence. 
once again, hypnosis is just the degree of focus of consciousness to which you are subject right now or at any moment of your day. But it's about the suggestion. And you should be very careful what you let into your mind, what we might call the inner sanctum. There used to be a radio show about that before I was born, the inner sanctum, I believe. And you know, <laughs> I've developed this theory over years, but for this inner sanctum, this is the first time this term occurs to me. That's what I'm going to use, inner sanctum. And with this, I'm going to end today's episode with some real food for thought. The inner sanctum is this. My hypothesis here. I could even say theory. There's a part of your mind. I'm sure it corresponds to a part of your physical brain, but I don't know which part that would be. Nobody could know, I think. What of your consciousness, a part of your mind, that if a belief enters there, if a belief enters there, it's almost impossible to get rid of. I repeat, because this is of such supreme importance. There's a part of the human human mind slash consciousness slash brain that if a, an idea gets into there and becomes a belief it's almost impossible to get rid of memorize that because this will give you the key to things that you can't even imagine now I'll give you a few short examples fanaticism the fanatic that believes a hundred percent that if you don't accept this God or that one you, we have to kill you. And no matter how you reason with these people, you're not going to change their minds. Or people who believe in some, one political party or the other one. Say people who, who, who just love Trump, who idealize Trump in every way. And you can say whatever you want. You know, I think Trump did great things for the country. I really think he did. On the other hand, I can, I can spend the talk criticizing Trump with no problem whatsoever. But there's some, if you criticize, anyway, oh, no, no, he can't be like that. Why? Because they've totally put that in that inner sanctum. They used to compare it to a safe. You, know, you open the safe, put something in, but then you forget the combination. You can't get it out again. It's kind of like that. You put that belief in there, and, and you've been totally hypnotized. You've been, you, to say you believe anything 100%, that's a sign, ooh, you have hypnotized yourself. It could be something good as well, though. For example, I started running when I was like 34, I think I was 34 years old. So, well, I went out and left my house one day. I thought, well, how well could I run now? I'd done martial arts early, but I hadn't done anything in a few years. So, God, I only ran two blocks, I get out of breath. So then I started every night running because I never liked running. But I made that a habit, and now at 65, I'm still running. Usually every two days and summer every day, I'll go out and, and run for a while. I can't run as fast. I can't run as far as I could with 35. But I guess that's age. I hate to admit it, but, you know, sometimes we have to come to, to grips with reality. But I can still go out and run, so that's something, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, I mention that because if I go a few days without running, I start feeling guilty. Because I've put into that inner sanctum, that safe, I've put the idea for your health, for the health of your lungs, you're going to run. You're going to exercise. And if I don't do it, I usually do it every two days. If I don't do it for three or four, I feel actually guilty. Oh, my God. I have to get out and run. I, don't care whether, I have to go out there and run, right? And I could say maybe a little fanatic. I'm not as fanatical as I used to be. I used to go out, even if it was pouring down rain, I'd go out and run. I never got a cold either because I'd come and take a shower immediately. 
But I remember one day in Spain, I was out there running. It was raining pretty hard when I left, but then it started pouring down. I'm wet as a rat in two minutes thinking, what the hell am I doing here? I could be totally wet. I mean, okay, you take a shower afterwards. It was cold too. No ice. I never run when there's ice. But it was really pretty cold. I, what am I doing? So that now if it's raining, I just don't go out and run. It, it takes the shoes days to dry, you know. But I got to the point was almost, you know, practically fanatical about it. I must go out and run. Now I've relaxed. Now I don't have to go out and run. I'm no longer a fanatic. But it took me a while to get used to that too. Nonetheless, I'm glad that I put that idea into my inner sanctum. I converted the idea of running into the belief I run to be in better health, have better lung condition, I run. And that's just part of who I am. I've put that into that safe, into that inner sanctum. And I'm glad I did. There could be other things too. I also have a, a belief that I've adopted that I, every day I should do at least something that's creative. And if I don't, if I have a day that's really just not creative, I think, oh my God, what have I done, Ivan? And I think, okay, relax, it's one day. So, you know, I can get over it. I'm not a total fanatic. But that's a positive belief. Even more important, positive ethics, to believe that we should be good people. We should not tear people down. We should not destroy people. We should basically approach people with, no matter who they are, I don't care if it's a bum on the street you meet, be kind, be courteous, be respectful, unless he you know, is the opposite with you, well, then you might have to even punch him in the face, depending on your circumstances. But your first approach to people, no matter who they are, even if they're not as intelligent as you, if they're, if they're low class, I don't care who they are, Treat them with kindness and respect because they're human beings. That's a belief that I inherited from my father. I have to say, well, both my parents, but most especially my father. And so that's always been in that inner sanctum. Certain things you learn to believe as a child, they get in there very quickly into that inner sanctum that's safe in, the, in that part of your mind. And thank God I had the parents I did because I will never lose that. But of course, if your parents taught, well, other people are not worth anything, just like you, you little brat, you're not worth it, and then that's what you're going to believe. You're going to hate other people, and you're going to hate yourself, and that explains a lot of the mis misery we have in the world, a lot of the crime and such things. So I'm going to start wrapping it up here. We've learned today about hypnosis, what it really is. It's nothing to fear. It's nothing diabolical. I'll debate with anybody who wants to tell me it's something diabolical. It's, it's not. It's not. Suggestion can be very bad, yes. However, don't fear that you know somebody hypnotizes you and tell you you're going to murder somebody. You won't do it. Not if it's a one-off one hypnosis thing. You'll probably just wake up if they start telling you things like that. It's not going to work. There are tricks around that, but it's, I'm not, not, I wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't get into that. Uh, now, yeah, if you hypnotize somebody, maybe using drugs over many sessions, you know, there's certain evidence that maybe Sirhan Sirhan, who killed Bobby Kennedy, uh, there are certain signs that he might have been uh, brainwashed, as some people say, to do that, basically hypnotized in many sessions. I won't get into that now. It's a really interesting case. You should get into it. But there are certain signs that uh, he was an agent for certain powers and wanted Bobby Kennedy dead. That's not hard to believe, really. I could, I could, I could sing quite a song about that, about the JFK assassination and even Bobby Kennedy assassination. But there are certain signs that Sirhan Sirhan had been subjected to precisely that sort of a treatment. But that's more long-term hypnosis. That's a much more complicated process. Don't fear somebody to hypnotize you and make you do terrible things. If you're a decent person, that's not going to happen. It's not going to work. So lose your fear of hypnosis. Lose your fear of suggestion, except when it's about adopting beliefs that are negative. Don't let yourself fall into that trap. I'm going to, in, in future chapters on this subject, I'm going to go 
more and more into that and give you many more examples, give you many more practical examples. I'm going to explain how this is also the root of uh, many types of insanity. It's so related. That's why we say we differentiate the insane from the normal, but where is that line exactly? I've said for years I'm convinced that a sizable minority, including a majority of people, really have mental problems. And that's the way I see it. And I don't say it to insult people, just what I've observed, and I'm going to back that up with certain observations in the future. Uh, but, you know, I say this to help wake people up so they start to think more clearly, so they do not become fanatics, so they don't accept what others want us to believe, that they unceasingly question. Because as you know, and thanks for accompanying me in this path, this is the path of Socrates. Thank you for listening. Until the next time. Bye now.